Welcome everyone, my name is Kyle and it is a very lovely day to be here with you guys. It's a privilege to be up the front and to get to share with you. Um, it's been a fantastic service so far. And so I'm yeah, very excited that we get to spend some time digging into God's Word. Uh, I've, been, I've had the chance to meet a, a couple of people that I've met for the first time, so I want to say a big welcome to you guys. It's lovely to have you here. And for any visitors that I haven't had a chance to meet, or people that just haven't been here for a while, um, it's good to see you guys, and I hope we get to chat after the service. Remember, there is a sausage sizzle happening after the service, so make sure that you are spending your dollars so that we can um, help the kids' church make some Christmas hampers, which I'm very excited about. Look, um, we are now, for those of you who weren't here last week, we are now into our second week of our Love Loud series, One John, A Light. Um, last week, we had a look at the idea of proclaiming the light, uh, that our message of hope and truth and life is from God himself, um, God who calls himself the light, and that God who is light is present in every believer. We looked at the idea of a church being called to shine light uh, on Jesus, to illuminate the presence of God just as the lampstand illuminated the bread in the tabernacle, that we, the church, are called to be a light in our community, to be a beacon of hope, a beacon of life in the city that we are currently planted in. Um, as a bit of a refresher, uh, we're beginning our Love Loud season, as you would have seen from the, the videos and the announcements, and we wanted to take a, a bit of a walk through a book of the Bible that reminded and encouraged us about uh, who we are as a church. Um, the end of year Love Loud initiatives are an opportunity for our church to uh, just love our community with and show love to them with no strings attached. It's the perfect chance to bless some people and to bring some goodness into their lives. And with this in mind, we wanted to spend a bit of time thinking about uh, who and what we are called to be as a church in our community. Uh, we, we will have action days, as you saw on the screen, um, and we will actually do the work of bringing goodness into our community. But we wanted to make sure that we aren't just, I guess, doing the things, but that we're also remembering why we are doing these things. What is it that a church is meant to be for the community? And 1 John is this great little book, this little letter, that helps us answer a few of those questions. Um, I was reading a, a bit from Don Carson this week, and he was writing about some of the criticisms that are leveled at the Christian church. Uh, some of them valid and some of them not. And one of the criticisms that he spoke about was that of hypocrisy. Now, if you've been around in church long enough, you would have heard that uh, chucked around, especially in regards to the Christian church. Uh, and, he, you know, if you are to think of all the religious systems and all the belief systems in the world, how often do you hear the label of hypocrisy leveled at them? When was the last time, you know, someone came on TV and, you know, had to go at the Mormon church because of hypocrisy or, or the Scientologists or, or the atheists, you know? You know, you know the, the communists, they're all right, but the one thing that I hate about them is the hypocrisy. Like, when was the last time you heard this word, this charge, sort of labeled at other religious systems or belief systems around the world? Not often, if ever. And why is that? Well, Don Carson, Don Carson speaks to this when he writes, It is in large part because of the lingering influence of Christianity in the Western world that the Western world still thinks Christianity ought to be different. We have done such a good job of insisting that there is a connection, that Christians will be different, that when we are not different, we are accused of hypocrisy, 
So I say, amen, we ought to be. But that means, of course, biblical Christianity is not just simply a question of how men and women are reconciled to God by some judicial act by which our sins are forgiven, and that's the end of the story. So the thing that we get to dive into today is this idea that when people are indwelt by the presence of God, that there is a change. And it's not just a, a title change that you go from, you know, master to mister or miss to missus. It's not a title change on your driver's license or just a change of clothes and you're putting on a, a different sweater. Something inside you, something about who you are fundamentally changes. And the passage for today is an interesting section from the book of First uh, John or the letter of First John that talks about what the presence of God is capable of doing inside a person. Uh, the sermon title is The Power of the Light. And I guess one of the things that I really want to focus on today is that the light, the power, the presence of God is no small thing. And the presence of God in us is no small thing. The presence in, of God in us is so significant that it leaves no part of us unchanged. There's no part of you as a believer that is unchanged when indwelt by the presence of God. So we are going to read uh, from 1 John chapter 3, and it'll be 11 to 24. Uh, if it's not up on the screen, oh, it is on the screen. There you go. Um, it's on the screen, so don't you close your Bibles and your phones. It's all up there. Um, so 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. And if you are reading your Bible, it might have a little title that says, Love One Another, or something like that. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But if a person who has no, uh, but a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Pastor Carl needs a new iPad. Yeah. Uh, dear children, did I say that? No. Uh, dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave lives in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your scripture, your word is alive and it is powerful. It is able to change the heart of the hearer. And so, Lord, I pray that as we 
uh, read through parts of 1 John today that, uh, yeah, your word will be changing people's lives, that your Holy Spirit will be ministering to people much more than uh, the people up the front speaking or singing are able to do. Lord, I pray that you are doing a work in people's lives. Lord, I pray that if there are people here who are seasoned Christians that have been, uh, you know, doing church for a while, that is still something that is challenging and refreshing and renewing from today's message. And Lord, we pray for people here that might not yet know you as Lord and Savior, and we pray, Lord, that that will change today. Lord, we are praying for salvations, and we are praying for encouragement of the church. In your name, amen. Um, so if we were to go through this section of the letter, you'll note that at the start there is a mention of both Cain and Abel uh, as a means of explaining uh, the Christian world and also just the general sinful world, I guess, both in terms of how you will act and then also how you will be received. So Cain and Abel, they're the brothers right near the start of the Bible in Genesis, if you want to read a little bit about them. So John the author writes that Cain, one of the brothers, belonged to the evil one, and that is why Cain did evil things. John also writes, uh, he wrote the Gospel of John, which won't surprise you, uh, but he also writes a similar sentiment in the Gospel of John when the Jewish leaders are coming to look for ways to kill Jesus. He uses the same sort of language in John chapter 8. Uh, in verse 44, or you can read the section from 31 to 47, but in verse 44 it says this, For you are children of your father the devil, and you love to do evil things like he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So in Genesis, at the very, very start of the Bible, we see Cain killing Abel. And the reason that is given in 1 John is because Cain had been doing what is evil and his brother had been doing what is righteous. And then... I feel the rhythm. And then in the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John uh, near the start of the uh, New Testament, we see that the Jewish leaders are looking for a way to kill Jesus. Once again, someone looking for a way to kill someone else. And the reason given is anyone who belongs to God will gladly listen to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. And so John is using these real examples from history. But he's doing this because he wants to emphasize and help us understand the distance between what our worldly sinful desires are rooted in and what the transformed, redeemed heart looks like. So he's trying to do contrasts, which is what John does in all of his writings. And he also does this to reassure the readers that life is not always going to be good times and great music. In the Gospel of John 16, he retells Jesus' words and says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues, and the time will come when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service to God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. Uh, I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you a while longer. So again... Jesus is warning his followers of this divide between people who are God's children and then people who are not. And again, the reasoning that is given between the difference between them is because they have never known the Father or Jesus. Cain belonged to the evil one, or to put it in an opposite direction, Cain was not a child of God. And the Jewish leaders who were attacking Jesus belonged to the evil one, as is written. Or to put in a different direction, John says they were not Abram's children, Abraham's children. They were not children of God. 
And so again, in John 16, just like in 1 John, we read that there is this divide between the children of God, those who know the Father, and those who don't. And John repeats this point in his writings again and again and again, because he wants you to remember that being a part of the family of God, being filled with the light of God, the the presence of God in you makes a difference in your life. You cannot be unchanged by the presence of God. And so John goes to great lengths to help you understand that there is a difference between someone who is a child of God and someone who is not. So much so that not just your outward expression, your outward actions and deeds are changed, but your very heart is changed. It says, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life within them. So John is actually writing now of feelings and desires instead of just like actions. He was talking about murder, which is an action before, but now he's actually talking about your heart. So when John writes that murderers don't have eternal life within them, he is not saying that if you murder someone, that then therefore there is no pathway for for redemption and salvation in your life. John is saying, if you are currently in a space where there is such hate in your life, there is such hate in your heart that is so great that you'll do something like this, then clearly Jesus is not in your heart. There is no eternal life in them. Because the path to eternal life is through Jesus. And if Jesus is alive in your heart, then hate cannot also be alive and growing in your heart. Now, I was going to use um, a scientific example here to talk about chemicals and, and elements and how that when you add like a new chemical or element or substance, I don't know what they're called, um, and how they change. But then I remembered that I don't actually know how science works. Like, like genuinely, I don't understand how it works. It's all magic to me. Like if, you were to, like, if you were to send someone back in time with the hopes that they would bring, like, future information into the past so that it would speed up, like, the technology boom, I would be the last person that you would send back because I don't understand how anything works. It's like, we have planes in the future. And they're like, really? How do they work? And I'm like, I don't know. They keep it a secret. <laughs> I was like, you know, they have penicillin. They're like, oh, cool. How did they discover it? I'm like, I don't know. I think it was a dirty house or something. I don't know. You know, we have, we have telephones, like, oh, cool, how do they work? I'm like, I actually think it's magic. Like, my son on the drive here this morning, on Sunday mornings, Walt comes early with me, and we go to the Stanley Cafe to get a sneaky snack, which I guess is not so sneaky anymore. Um, don't tell his sister. Um, but uh, he was, I, I paid for it using my phone, and he's like, how does that work? And I was like, magic. <laughs> I was like... I don't know. I was like, but he's like, I thought money was money that you had to pass over. And I was like, well, yes, but this is also money. And he's like, how? And I was like, it's magic. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then I tried to describe, like literally tried to describe what a bank was. Like, I couldn't describe a bank. Like, it's a building that holds your money. And I couldn't describe that to my son. So anyway, so I was going to use this thing to describe like chemicals and all that. So instead, I'm using food dye as an example. So here, that's easy. I can understand colors. So imagine we all have like green food dye in our cups. And we're all just walking around, all of us have these cups, and we're holding cups in our hands full of green food dye. But then someone comes along and adds just a bit of red to my cup. And so 
my cup now has a mixture of, of green and, and red in it. And then throughout the day, people are going around, bumping into each other, doing life. And then someone looks down and they see that they've got this green stain on their shirt. So they're going around saying like, who spilled this on me? Who spilled this liquid on me? And then they see me and they're like, you, you spilled this on me. You bumped into me earlier. This is from your cup. And I'm like, well, no, my cup has red and, brown, uh, red and green mixed into it, which is now brown. And you've got a green stain on you. There is no possible way that I could spill green on you from my cup because green no longer exists in my cup. I have liquid in my cup, but it is no longer green. It has been fundamentally changed and will never be green again. It has changed from what it was into what it is now. My cup is physically incapable of spilling green onto anyone because it is no longer the same liquid. When Jesus has been put into your cup, you cannot spill hate onto anyone. There is no hate in your cup to spill because hate doesn't exist in you anymore. It is gone. It is changed. It is redeemed. And that is what John means when he says that people that are murderers and people that hate their families like, do not have eternal life in them. About love, John Piper writes, so love is the evidence that we are born again, that we are Christians, that we are saved. Like love is not how we are saved, but it is a condition of being saved. You can love to a degree without being saved, but you cannot be saved and not love. Love is a symptom of salvation. Love is the defining character of the children of God. And so if the presence of God is alive and active within you, if the light is in you, then you cannot find yourself hating other people. If you are hating others, you have either not accepted the presence of God or you have not let the presence of God start his work in you. It is an inward thing that changes you fundamentally. The substance of who you are is changed and you cannot go on living the way that you have always lived. The power of the light changes the person inside and out. So we have systems and strategies and laws and policies that we all sort of exist with. And these are good at controlling your actions. But it takes something far greater to change a heart. It takes God to change the desires of your heart so that you desire the things of God rather than the things of the world. The power of, of God, the power of our God of the light is more than just a person who stops hurting people but the power to stop a person from hating other people. And John continues this in, in verse 16. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love one another. Let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong in the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and knows everything. So there's two interesting takeaways from this little section here. And the first is that knowing and understanding Jesus means that we know and understand love. And the second is that our actions allow us to have confidence of inner change. Even when we doubt ourselves, even when we have feelings of guilt and shame, our actions actually allow us to have confidence of the work of God in us. Knowing Jesus means that we know what love is. 
Jesus, the light of the world, makes clear what love is. Okay, I do know a little bit of science, because the power of light is that it illuminates darkness. It illuminates the things unseen. Like, that's why we have street lamps at nighttime, so that we can see in the dark. It's, it's why cars have headlights. It's why phones have, have flashes on them, because light brings clarity to the unseen. And we live in a confused world, and that confusion bleeds into every part of our existence. And even something seemingly as simple as the idea of love, confusion bleeds into that. Um, Allure did a survey, I think in 2019, uh, asking people about how they would define love. And now, this is not a scientific journal, it's a beauty magazine. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about scientists here. Um, we're talking about influencers. So, but here are some of the answers from just normal people talking about what they would define love as. So one person said, love means enthusiastically answering my man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> no. Uh, love means enthusiastically answering my many, many questions with an unexpected level, level of depth, taking care of me when I'm sick, indulging my need for spontaneity, making mundane chores manageable, if not fun, and truly seeing my light and looking to amplify it rather than dim it. Another said, love, it's acting for one another as a framework and foundation for personal evolution. Uh, another said, love is like sinking into a warm bath at the end of an awful day. It's being brave enough to give someone the parts of you that you know are messy, complicated, and not Instagram perfect. It's knowing that although they hold all the tools to break your heart, they'll build you up instead. Uh, love is a trust I place in someone. Love is a space for refuge, for pain, and for growth. Uh, and one said, I'm not sure about romance other than it's absurd, but my best friend and I sent each other the exact same email this morning, and if that isn't love, I don't know what is. <laughs> so there's ideas of what love is out there, but there's confusion as to what love really is. Like These all seem like very wonderful things, but most of them are not love. They are symptoms of love. Uh, they are outworkings of love, but they are not love. And when we get infatuated with the symptom of love, or when we get infatuated with the outworking of love, we will easily fall out of love when that symptom or outworking disappears. And when John tells us that Jesus reveals real love, somehow I don't think it is because John and Jesus happen to send each other the same email at the same time one morning. Like, I'm not ruling it out, but I don't think it's the case. Like, we know what love is because we know that Jesus gave up his life for us. I think an aspect of real love is that it is a redemptive action. It is bringing things back into kingdom design and kingdom order. Like, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for the sake of it, but there was a redeeming, a redemptive plan that was taking place when Jesus was acting to restore what was lost, to fix what was broken, to cure what was sick in us. Because Jesus goes on to use an example about us using our money to tell people, uh, to help people that are struggling. And again, I don't think this is a matter of just making sure that people aren't hungry. I think it is a deeper call to bring people back into kingdom design. Let's not just say that we love each other, but let our actions speak 
the light in us. There is a Latin phrase, acta non verba, which means actions, not words. Like, I know that we speak about love so much in our church. It's one of our things. But, like, I think it would be so powerful when people outside of our church speak of the love in our church more than we do. Uh, we've been w- watching the Alpha Film series um, for Campus and Young Adults on Wednesday night upstairs at 7.30 if you want to join us. Um, and this week, uh, on the Wednesday Just Been, uh, there was uh, the series, the video was spoke, uh, focusing on church and what is the church and what is the purpose of the church. Uh, and there was a woman being interviewed on the street, uh, on the Alpha Film series, they sort of take camera crews around and just ask people, you know, what do you think of Jesus? You know, what do you think of forgiveness? And they're asking this one woman, what do you think of church? Um, and her answer was, I am not a Christian, but I go to church every week because I just love to be with people there. Everyone is so caring about each other. So imagine someone who who doesn't agree with the Bible, uh, who does not believe in the saving work of Jesus, still being drawn into the community because of how the church treats each other. When we look at the redemptive path of of love that Jesus took, we see a path marked by, by selflessness, by humility, by grace, by compassion, And every follower of Jesus is called to look the same. Uh, We just previously read uh, in the verses that connected hate and murder together. Hate in the heart is born from the same place as murder in the body. So how powerful then is, is love? Like how powerful is love in the heart? Surely love brings life to the body, life to the community. Remember that John loves using contrasts in his writing. Hate and death, love and light, darkness and light. I love loud projects that we, you know, that we put out each year and that we do throughout the year. These love loud initiatives are a chance to actually push back on the darkness that so many people find themselves in. Um, our love loud projects are, are a chance, even in, in, in the smallest ways, to show what real love is. Love that illuminates, love that clarifies, love that makes people realize, ah, yes, this is what I've been looking for. Every initiative, every project, big and small, is a light that shines into the darkness, a voice that speaks out and says, this is what real love looks like. And these actions, these are are things that we actually start to find ourselves to be drawn to do. They, They do not just speak to the world out there, but your actions actually speak to you. Your actions speak to yourself. In verse 19, it says our actions will show that we belong to the truth so that we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Our actions allow us to have confidence of our inner change. Even when we we doubt ourselves, even when we have feelings of guilt and shame and unworthiness, Uh, In Ephesians 2, we read that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us a long time ago. So just like I was saying before about this, this cup being filled with a new colored liquid, 
God is creating us anew, crafting us refreshed, creating us to be redeemed and restored so that we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. This is the power of the light working in us, making this this ragtag bunch of very good-looking people into a vehicle to do the good things that God has planned for us to do a long time. And a little later in Ephesians, we read, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, it says, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan that he carried out through Christ our Lord. The church, us, to display God's wisdom. This is something that we keep coming back to. The church displaying Jesus. The church illuminating Jesus. The church being a light of the presence of God. A light in our community that shows people the truth of Jesus. The power of the light is that it transforms the very heart of a person. It isn't just this, you know, superficial clothes swap. It is a heart-changing, life-altering power. It takes the old sinful nature that was in us, and it replaces us with the very heart and mind of Christ, so that our cup will only ever spill out Jesus. Our desires our motivations, our goals, our values, all changed in light of Jesus. The power of the light in us also illuminates and clarifies what we could not find on our own. It, it shows us what real love is. And it's not just this, uh, this feeling of love, but it's, it's the basis of love. The redemptive love that seeks to return us to the place where we were meant to be in the arms of our Father. Jesus, in what he was willing to do for us on the cross, and why he was willing to do that for us on the cross, shows what love is. The power of the light gives us assurance that our actions have the potential to display the power of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of Jesus. I want to finish now with a short video that was made to show uh, some of the things that we've been able to do um, as a a network of churches, not just Clayton Church of Christ, but like as a network of churches in the Clayton area. And I know that as we watch some of these videos sometimes, it can seem like, uh, you know, statistics and numbers and just amounts being thrown at you, and it can feel like a bit... um, spreadsheetish, you know, Excel spreadsheetish, like all these sort of just data coming at you. In fact, the file name for this video is just Stats 2023. So it's stats, you know. But as you watch this video, I want I want you to remember that our actions do more than just do things. Like our actions are more than just doing. Um, our actions, which are prompted and empowered by the Holy Spirit, have the capacity to light up our community, to illuminate truth, to illuminate love, to illuminate Jesus. And so as as you watch this video, think of every person who has been blessed to personally see the power of the light at work in a believer and trust that God has a plan to use our church 
to bring light to the people around us. And God is going to use us to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Just There's, there's one stat that I just want to spoil for you now. And it talks about um, the, the playgroup. And I think at one point it says it's been running for like over 40 years. And like, that's pretty old. Like, I don't know how many 40-year-olds there are in here, but that's, a, that's pretty old. That's been around for a long time. But I was just like, whoa, 40 years. Like, how many mums and kids and dads and aunties have been going through playgroup for 40 years? How many people have personally interacted with someone who has the presence of God in them over the course of 40 years? That's huge. And so as we watch this video, like, look at the numbers and just think, how many different families? Like, how many lives? How many just, like, interactions, even if it's a small interaction, where people have been blessed to see someone who has the presence of God indwelling in them? The presence that is able to illuminate and clarify what love is, what truth is, what purpose is. And after the video, uh, the worship band will be leading us, and the prayer team will also be at the front. So please come forward during any stage during worship and after the service to pray and maybe just to praise with our team. But I'm going to hand it over to the tech team to run the video now. Thanks. Together for Clayton, a collaborative network of churches who seek to pray, partner and plant for the common good of Clayton and beyond. Let's take a journey through our incredible services showing the impact on our community and how we partner with you to serve the Clayton community and beyond. Dixon House, your haven for over three decades. We've been Clayton's steadfast support, offering food relief, computer skills tutoring, English classes and vital programs for migrants, international students and more. Love Loud Encounter English Learning. Ten years of empowering up to 60 students weekly through five levels of English classes. Love Thy Neighbour. Community care in action, spreading love without strings attached. Containers of clothes sent overseas, hampers, care packs, graffiti removal and window cleaning, Clayton and Monash City. Love loud, sow a seed. Making a difference when life is on the edge. Over three years, we've raised over $100,000 and assisted to date more than 60 families with financial and accommodation support and even gifted five cars. Love loud, free meal delivery. Answering hunger's call in times of desperation. We've served an incredible 15,000 meals in the last three years, thanks to our dedicated team of 40 volunteers. Looking to transform yourself? Love Loud You Fit offers low-cost boot camps, self-defence classes and valuable life skills seminars in a warm and encouraging community supported by a grant from the Suburban Railway Loop Authority. Family and kids are our heartbeat. Mainly music brings parents, babies, toddlers and preschoolers together for weekly music, stories and boundless fun. For six years, Mums, Tums and Little Ones has been a lifeline for parents with young children providing indoor and outdoor play opportunities. For four decades, Play Group at Clayton Church of Christ has nurtured parents and children with crafts, music and stories. Our Rock Ministries program lights up summers and Easter breaks bringing joy to hundreds of kids over 17 incredible years. Mates of South Asia, where students and migrants unite to feel a taste of home and friendships are forged. We've served over 100 kilos of biryani and counting. 
Every Monday night, Cafe Care is a diverse group sharing laughter, stories and support through life's trials. Whatever the struggle, addiction, family breakdown or loss, we walk together through it all. Kids Hope empowers primary school children with one hour of mentoring each week, helping them thrive in life and development. Together for Clayton, a collaborative network of churches who seek to pray, partner and plan for the common good of Clayton and beyond. Be a part of our journey. Visit us today and join the movement. Together for Clayton, because together we are stronger.